Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. In the Harvard Business Review, a guy called Clayton Christensen wrote about his school reunion, where when he got there, it transpired many of those that everybody thought would be most likely to succeed were not there because they were in jail. Or they were there, but they cried into their beer all night about failed businesses and broken marriages. His reflections on that made him recall a time when he was at Oxford, when he played for the basketball team. His personal religious convictions meant that at the age of 16, he'd made a personal decision that he would never play sport on Sundays. And the commitment had never caused him any real problems, but you can guess what day the university championship ended up being drawn on. The coach, then all of his teammates lined up one after one, begging him to play. Can't you break the rule? Just this once, they all said. What would you do? I don't want to get sidetracked into some discussion about what you can or can't do on particular days, especially on Sundays. I recently did a talk on the Sabbath. You can check that one out if you look back a few weeks. But the point here is not about the day, it's about the decision. See, this wasn't about whether you should work or play or sport. It was about whether you'd keep your word or break it just this once. Clayton prayed and felt an inner confirmation from God that he should keep the commitment that he'd made some years before and he he didn't play. Maybe your reaction to that is to disagree because it was just one Sunday out of thousands in his life. But that's not how he saw it for Christensen. Looking back on his life, he said that it wasn't just any Sunday, it was a life-defining moment for him about the kind of man he wanted to be and would go on to become. He says, looking back on it, resisting the temptation whose logic was, in this extenuating circumstance, just this once it's okay, has proven to be one of the most important decisions because my life has been one unending stream of extenuating circumstances. Had I crossed that line once, that one time, I'd have done it over and over in the years that followed and ended up with a ton of regrets, no doubt, as a result. I don't know if you know what he's talking about there. Reflecting on the blessings that making such decisions had brought about because he kept those commitments in his life, comparing with those people with so many regrets at the school reunion. He said it's easier to hold your principles 100% of the time than 98% of the time. So you've got to define what you'll say yes and no to. Where will you draw the line? What little things you may or may not do today, because they will make a big difference in your tomorrows. And as we continue our series on blessings, we're still in Genesis. And today we meet somebody who blew it all for a bowl of broth. Last time we looked at how Isaac met and married his wife Rebecca. Then Genesis 25 tells us, though they loved each other from the first time they saw each other, they weren't able to have children. 20 years. We know pastorally how difficult Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday can be. A joyful day for many, but at the same time a painful one for many of you too. This is always a Sunday of mixed emotions when we want to be sensitive to that and do what the Lord tells us to, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Isaac 
prayed and prayed a long time. They prayed through their pain and their hurt, but then one day when he was nearly 60, Rebecca did become pregnant. But there were problems with the pregnancy. The Hebrew here could be translated, but her sons almost crushed one another inside her. The struggle's not over at all. It's just beginning. There's a fight in the womb. These days, we know of a dangerous condition called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Symptoms include incredible like stomach pressure for the mother when she's pregnant. It happens if twins have a problem with the common placenta and one child takes more of the blood than the other. That child is often bigger and red or ruddy, while the other one is smaller and anemic. Of course, Rebecca didn't, couldn't go for a scan. Other mums might talk about how they could feel their babies kicking, but for her it's like there's a boxing match in her belly. And again, her words are hard to translate here, but she says, why is this happening? Or perhaps, what kind of life is this? And she asks God what's going on, and God gives her a promise. He gives her a prophecy that's going to shape everything to follow in the book of Genesis. He tells her it's twins, two nations inside her, in fact. And then he declares this, the older will serve the younger. Now, that was not how life was supposed to work. It would mean a lot of trouble because in ancient culture, in many cultures today, well, actually, just look at what's going on in our royal family and the sibling rivalry there. The heir and the spare, as Harry says, he's seen. The firstborn would be next in line to the father, head of the family, right after him. This birthright conveyed three blessings to the firstborn. He would be financially blessed. The eldest son would be the wealthiest, he'd get a double portion, at least twice the inheritance of any of the other kids. And then he'd have family authority with the responsibility to lead. His life was like being an apprentice to lead and take over from dad one day. And finally, the birthright was seen as conveying something else, something extra special, the favour of God. All just for being born first. It's not fair, is it? It's ridiculous. It's, it's stupid, it's annoying, it's really not fair. Can't you tell I'm the second one? Absolutely. So, even in the womb, before they're born, God speaks about their destinies and their futures and their fighting for pole position. Round two begins when Rebecca goes into labour. Verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Esau emerges into the world, but right on his heel, Hanging on there is his little brother, slippy little Jacob, crying loudest because he's second, and he doesn't ever want to be second best. In Hebrew, the word for heel is linked to the idea of progress made possible by being properly grounded. Just think about how you move forward. When we are walking, the first part of your body to touch the ground is the heel. Then we roll forward on that God-designed, perfectly shaped round heel and prepare the next step. And in the original language, Jacob's name, Yaakov, contains within it the word heel. He's all about pushing forward, pushing forward, forward progress. Jacob's about that all the time. Jacob's name tells us what he's like. That's what his father sees in him. Even as he's born, he's going to be a go-getter. He's always trying to get ahead no matter what. 
That's not a bad thing in itself, but he's going to do whatever it takes. Even if he has to trip somebody else up to win the race and get the prize. And so his father calls him Grasper, Grabber, Tripper Upper, Slippy Jacob. Or if you call James, by the way, it's the same name, same meaning. Imagine as they grew up, there were an awful lot of fights and lots of broken toys in their house as they grew up. Like there was in my house with me and my older brother Terry, whose name means annoying. Not really, just kidding. He's great, actually, in case he's watching. These twins were nothing alike, and it's only going to get worse because we're told Dad liked Esau best and Mum liked Jacob. We all know there's no such thing as the perfect human family, but we do know there's bound to be trouble that comes from favouritism. And one day, when they're older, there's a life-defining moment, and it's recorded here again for our instruction. Come and look at it with me. When Esau makes a little decision with big consequences as he blows his birthright for a bowl of broth. Verse 29, it says that one day, when mummy's boy Jacob was at home cooking, Esau, the man's man, came in from the open country, and he says to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. He can't wait. You see, he's got no way to delay gratification. He's always had what he wanted whenever he wanted it. The big, tough, burly, older brother. The big, beardy, outdoor, Bear grills guy who always had the best of everything. Even the nutrients in the womb is actually very weak when it comes to controlling his impulses. He can't say no to his flesh. And the younger brother recognises, great, this is my chance. He usually has nothing that the older brother wants, but now here it is right in front of him. And so begins the most ridiculous trade in the Bible. Dinner for your divine destiny. Jacob said, make me a trade, my stew for your rights as the firstborn. The birthright for a bowl of broth, financial and family blessings, the favour of God for that. You have to ask, who would do that? What kind of fool would trade their whole future for something so valueless and temporary as short-term satisfaction in the now? Who would throw away all of that so cheaply? And the answer, of course, is you and me. If it was the right bowl of stew, people do it all the time. Clever people do it because we end up being foolish. From the beginning of time, when our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, blew it over some fruit that they thought looked good, but it wasn't good at all. We can all be tempted to make that trade over and over throughout the whole of our lives. We, want, we see something, we want something, and we can lose so much of that through a moment of madness. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? He'll do the deal. He's going to trade away his future today. Jacob said, first swear to me. And so, on oath, Esau gave away his rights, his privilege, his place as the firstborn for some bread and a lentil soup. That's how he blew it. And maybe we've all messed up too, but it's not too late because God is so kind and you're here today. So he's not done with any of us yet, but we must learn from this. Or we may learn the hard way because the New Testament sums up Esau's error in Hebrews 12, verse 16, where it warns us, do not be godless like Esau. Look at that chapter with me now, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12, before we conclude. This is the first way you can blow your blessings, your birthright as a child of God, through sin. Even if you say you're a believer here, because that word godless doesn't mean Esau didn't believe in God. It simply means God didn't actually matter that much to him. 
Esau didn't care about God. He didn't care about obeying God. He just thought he could do what he wanted and God would bless him anyway. He wanted to live for today, so he was willing to let go of his blessings and his future tomorrow. Earlier, the same chapter in Hebrews tells us, God is our real father and he shows that he is, that he loves us by disciplining us. You don't love your kids, you don't help them mature by giving them everything they want when they want it, by trying to be their their mates, their friends and not their parents. God loves us and he's a great father and it says here the fact that God disciplines us proves that we're really his children and not illegitimate. Although it never seems pleasant at the time, we may not enjoy it, but it says if we endure the hardship, something great will grow. Godly character, you come out different on the other side. Hebrews 12 verse 10, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Haven't you found the hard lessons are the ones that we learn most from? We're forged in that fire. I don't know if anybody in your parenting ever loved you enough to discipline you growing up, but we'd all better ask and invite our Heavenly Father to do so, to say, bring your loving correction, because that's what's going to help keep me so I can receive my inheritance, my full born-again birthright, all the blessings and the destiny, because all of us could be like Esau if we're honest. God, please show us, help us to be holy and obey you rather than blowing it through sin and lack of restraint like Esau who looked like the big man but was really just a soft, spoilt baby who couldn't control himself, his flesh. You read on. By the way, as you read on his story, he found that he lost his father's blessings too and when he did, he wasn't sorry for anything he did, he was just sorry for what he'd lost because he was a brat, he was a sulker, he was spoiled and it spoiled his future. And you know this isn't just about soup, don't you? Lack of discipline in any area can lead to many others too. And it's interesting what Hebrews links this to. We read on here, it says in verse 16, See that nobody is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. The other person who had to learn the hard way here, as you track the rest of his life, is actually Jacob. He looked to have won because of the deal that he'd done. He did it again later when he pretended to be his brother to fool his old blind dad and steal the blessings that was meant to come just to the firstborn too. That deceptive pattern of pretending to be who he really wasn't is the second way we can miss out on our real blessings from God. Whatever other people might see or say about us, because God knows the truth, he's not fooled when we pretend to be somebody we're not. Jacob's deceptions would trip him up, just like he tried to trip up others to get ahead in his life. Until one day, God had a showdown at sundown, a wrestling match with Jacob, and it didn't end until he owned up and was honest to God about who he really was. Because God wouldn't bless him as anybody else, but who he really was, the good, the bad and the ugly. God can't bless our sin, as Esau found, and God won't bless your life while you're trying to be anybody else other than who he made you to be. How many people 
Maybe people watching this now are missing out on the blessings and the destiny and the purpose God has for us because we just won't admit who we really are, warts and all, so that he can then make us who he says we are. How many of us in our lives, even in this year of blessing, perhaps because of what mum wanted or dad or somebody else said, you're trying to live out somebody else's plans, some other person's destiny rather than your own, the one God designed, and you'll only find out when you let him get closer. If today your life seems unsatisfying, ineffective, unfulfilled, you need to know you'll never be fulfilled trying to fulfill somebody else's dream or pursuing a destiny that was never designed for you. You see, this is what happens. You look at somebody else and what they've got or what they can do, and it's not even true. They're not perfect anyway, but you want that. You, and you blow what God has got for you as you pursue what, they are, what they've got. Jacob ran off and he did that for decades until he finally came back where he started. And that was where God wrestled with him. And he told God, I won't let you go until you bless me. Because that's what he's all about, I want the blessings. And God said, so what's your name? And then he owned up to who he really was, finally. You can read the story yourself. Last time he was asked that by his earthly father, he said, I'm Esau. But now he admits I'm Jacob. I'm who Dad said I am. I'm the heel grabber, the slippery customer, the liar. I'm Jacob. But his heavenly father says, listen, I never call you Jacob. That was your earthly dad's name for you, defining you by a negative trait that he perceived from the outset. And you lived up to that name. But I have always called you and will always call you Israel. I call you prince, royalty, a mighty nation. One of your descendants will one day also be my son and he will save sinners like you and your brother. He'll save the world. Don't trade all that God has got for you tomorrow for something that the world offers you today. Bad trade. If there's something that you know he's talking to you about today, end the relationship. Break the habit. Get prayer, get counsel, get free. And don't trade what God has for you because you're listening to what somebody else said or looking at what somebody else has or is because God hasn't called or chosen you or equipped you to be them or to fulfil somebody else's plan or purpose or destiny. Yours is so much more personal and so much greater. So let's pray now. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have a purpose, you have plans, you have desires, you have a destiny just for me. Why don't you thank him now for that? Because there is a divinely designed purpose connected to your passion, your personality, your skills, your dreams. Even your pains and hurts are included in that custom-made calling so he can bless you and you will be a blessing. Lord, help us see you are at work in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. And thank you that that is so much bigger and better than anything we could ever draft or design or even desire or imagine. Help us to find that and follow you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.